One last round of applause. I'm going to do that after. Wow, what a talented group. Who was that on the rock wall? <laughs> was that Sahaj? Sahaj? Did you notice where he was? I don't uh, It's great to see the musical ability, the scouting, the athletic. Uh, you've been busy. Been busy. Did a little study, I think, somewhere along the way. <laughs> but uh, we commend you as a church family. We thank you for coming and uh, wearing your robes to uh, let us celebrate that. Let, let us celebrate your, your accomplishment. Uh, we, we consider it a great accomplishment. And one that's unique in with ending with the pandemic year. Uh, I think that was uh, significant. So uh, I wanted to point out also that the flags that are assembled here this morning all have connections to people in this church. I purposely tried to select flags that I knew some of the members of our church were from. So uh, we have the Philippines here. We have Egypt here. We have Cameroon here. We have uh, Great Britain here. <laughs> Anybody from Great Britain way back? About half of us, baby. <laughs> uh, but uh, other, other flags. Uh, we have one for Korea because we have a Korean congregation. And the one from Egypt uh, celebrates our Coptic congregation that meets here on Saturday mornings. So we picked the flags that we had connections to. And uh, that's kind of the purpose of the church, is, is to connect people, uh, to uh, connect people who would not be connected, people that are difficult, difficult to connect with language-wise, distance-wise, uh, uh, education-wise. Uh, so many types of things can separate us. So these are to be used on those Sundays and uh, such as Pentecost, but we have World Communion Sunday every fall, and when we celebrate that communion, out should come the flags. We may line them up down the wall just for just for for good sake, just to do it. Uh, I appreciate you connecting the graduation recognition with Pentecost, for that was a remarkable uh, ending and beginning for the first disciples who followed Jesus. And Pentecost is celebrated around the world by the Christian churches. It is not just Presbyterians or liturgical churches. Now, some people forget it. Uh, and one of the reasons we remember it is not just because it was way back there and happened, but because it has instruction for us. How this church started with... Uh, those who were present with the Lord is how it should continue. Um, so the sermon text for most Pentecost Sundays is appropriately the story of that happening uh, written by uh, Luke, the writer of the gospel. This book of Acts, his second volume, uh, tells the story of what happened to the followers of Jesus, including this remarkable experience on Pentecost Day. 
Uh, the text is from Acts 2, 1 through 13, but I confess that much of the sermon will take us into the rest of, of chapter 2, so stick with me. Let us listen to God's word for us today. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues, as of fire, appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native tongue of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us, in our own native language, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own language, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for his word. So how would you like to have your greatest experience with God be compared to an all-night fraternity party? <laughs> Didn't go over too well. Uh, even though... Uh, Peter was speaking in some language he had never studied and probably didn't even know what he was saying. He, his ears were open also. And he heard the comment that they were all drunk. He first went on the defensive and then he went to the offense. So here's how Peter responded to that charge that all of the followers of Jesus were drunk. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now let me stop there and... Uh, backtrack a minute and go back to our first text because there were some words in there that we need to understand in order to continue to go forward. So, uh, Rod, will you run back to the first one? When the day of Pentecost had come, Pentecost was one of the three great feasts of the Jewish people in the first century and for centuries before that. It meant the 50th, 50th day it uh, followed 50 days after Passover was set 
by the, the phases of the moon for the Jewish uh, religion. Uh, Pentecost was uh, later in the spring, and it was said by the uh, historian, the Jewish historian Josephus, that being later in the spring, um, Pentecost was more popular and easier for Jews around the world at that time, around the Mediterranean, to travel to Jerusalem. But those who made the long journey to uh, reach Jerusalem in time for Passover earlier in the spring would often wait the extra seven weeks until they could celebrate Pentecost also. It was a long journey, a costly journey for people to travel that far, and it was perhaps once in a lifetime, perhaps more often if a person or family could afford it, but when they got to Jerusalem, they would stay longer, and so the, the population of Jerusalem swelled for Passover and for Pentecost. When it says they were all together in one place, who are the they? Well, it is those first followers of Jesus, certainly the 11, the 11 remaining apostles, as Jesus called the 12. But Judas took his life after uh, he saw Christ on the cross. And so in Luke's first chapter of Acts, he describes those 11 remaining apostles believing that the number was supposed to be 12 and they held an election and elected uh, uh, someone, a man who had been with them from the beginning, interestingly. They said that the one qualification for being a replacement for Judas is that it had to be another disciple who had been with them from the beginning all three years. And they chose Matthias. And so it was those 12 who were the they, but gathered in that place with them were a hundred and there were a total of 120 of them. And it will say in a minute down here that they were from Galilee. So predominantly the 120 first followers who had come with Jesus to Jerusalem were all Galileans. It says they were in one place. It says they were in a room. And we don't know whether that was one of the large rooms that were immediately around the temple in Jerusalem. If that's where Jesus had held his Passover meal earlier, where the disciples were gathering, for it needed a place where 120 of them could be. The next thing I underlined was, um, for myself, was uh, suddenly from heaven a sound came. Interestingly, that Luke would point that out. That the, how to determine that a sound came from heaven instead of across Jerusalem or something. A sense that it descended on them from above. And uh, it was a sound like the rush of wind. Now, um, there are a few places elsewhere in the United States where people are familiar with a violent sound of wind. Most of them live in Oklahoma or Kansas, sometimes Alabama, and they have storm cellars when they hear that wind. For some reason or other, those of us here in hurricane land 
don't have storm cellars. We don't even have cellars. <laughs> so, but we know what the sound of a violent wind is. I remember the night that Hurricane Ike came, the eye came across Galveston and came, just followed I-45 right up through Houston. Windows were blown out of towers downtown and kept going on up toward Dallas. We said farewell. Dallas is that way. And, uh, but I remember that night uh, placing some blankets in a, a long closet that Audrey had right off the master bedroom, put blankets down there. She went to sleep. I stayed up and texted my son down in the closer into Houston as he stayed awake, and we texted all night just to keep up with each other and see how things were. But all night, the wind was howling. I mean, we have some storms and we have some winds come through, but nothing like a hurricane and the sound. So those experiences can help us understand what Luke was describing as the sound of a violent wind. This was not a breeze. <laughs> it says that uh, divided tongues as of fire. Not, you should note, tongues of fire. It said tongues that looked like fire. So as you know from roasting marshmallows, you put a fire out in a fire pit, and the flames are flickering, and we can call them tongues of flame. So this is what appeared to them, tongues as if fire, but they were really light. I think the better word for us to see is God is light, and the, the appearance of the Spirit of God was came in the form of light that was active, not just static. It was moving, and it was tongues, they said. And then a second tongue appeared, except it didn't appear. They could hear it. And a tongue rested on each of them, 120 people. Talk about a birthday party, candles. Um, so that appeared, and then all of them were filled uh, with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages. Some translations earlier simply used the word tongues, began to speak in other tongues. But the fact that it was other tongues is our clue that it was not just tongues that was noise or babble, or as the Greek term is, glossolalia which has been more of the contemporary experience of tongues in Pentecostal churches in the last century. But this was other languages. And that's important for us to know. The, verse 5 said that were devout Jews. So these people that, were, that came to hear this were Jewish people who were from every nation under heaven and they were living in Jerusalem. Now, whether they were just living for those seven weeks as tourists, or whether they had moved back to Jerusalem from countries around the Mediterranean and the Middle East. For these places that are named were places that Jews had either been taken as slaves when they were conquered by the Assyrians, the Babylonians, 
the Greeks, the Romans, whenever there is conquest, people are removed, particularly if they are in leadership positions, so that the conquerors can run this place as subservient. So Jews for centuries had been settled in other places, often against their will. And they remained there, had children, grandchildren, who began to speak the language of these places. And that was their native language as generations followed them. But the, the, the urging for many of them must have been to return to Jerusalem. And so these people had, again, either as tourists or permanently moving back, but their native language was not Aramaic. It was these other languages around the world. That's who, uh, what they heard speaking. And um, it says they were speaking in the native tongue of each, and then it says, are not all those who are speaking Galileans? Well, now, we, we, we've heard the term Galilee, Sea of Galilee, and we know that Jesus' ministry was uh, spent a lot of time in Galilee, Capernaum, Nazareth, uh, a number of other cities in the Decapolis up around the Sea of Galilee, Sea of Tiberias. Galilee, though, was uh, the sticks compared to Jerusalem. It was the boondocks. It was the farmers up there, uh, people who were uneducated. One uh, commentary said that the Galileans coming into Jerusalem to proclaim Christ and share the news of Christ to the erudite, sophisticated Jerusalem people was like a bunch of coal miners from West Virginia heading to Massachusetts Institute of Technology and lecturing the faculty there. We have to get the sense that when one of them said, can anything good come out of Nazareth when they were told that Jesus was from Nazareth, it's because it was the sticks, uneducated people. We often don't get that term. So they, they not only heard these people speaking in, in their language, but they knew from their dress that they were from Galilee and the Galileans were not educated. They couldn't have learned these languages themselves. They knew that something amazing was taking place. Um, in the last, uh, in the third slide, where it talks about Parthians, Medes, Elamites, uh, Luke was describing uh, places beginning in Iran, moving to Iraq, uh, that's the Mesopotamia. The Parthians and Medes would have been from Iran, where the wise men came from, and moved on around, all the way around Jerusalem to Rome, covering Egypt covering the island of Crete in between, including their neighbors in Arabia. And so uh, it was quite a United Nations that was drawn together around those 120 followers of Jesus that morning. Note that when Peter replied to them, he said, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. So we're even fixed as to what time of day this took place. Um, so when Peter said, uh, 
that what they were seeing was something spoken by the prophet Joel, they would have been familiar with the, with the prophets as devout Jews. They would have been very familiar with their scriptures. And for Peter to say, this is what one of your own prophets told would happen. And he quotes Joel saying, in the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall all prophesy. Peter continues to them, you that are Israelites, Jews, genetically faithfully, theologically, you who are Israelites, listen to what I have to say. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with deeds of power, wonders, and signs that God did through him among you. As you yourselves know, this man handed over to you according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God you crucified and killed by the hands of those outside the law. But God raised him up, having freed him from death, because it was impossible for him to be held in that power. This Jesus God raised up, and of that all of us, 120, are witnesses. That God raised Christ from the dead. All of us are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you both see and hear. This and this. You see and you hear something that is unearthly. It was before their eyes. They could not deny what they were seeing and hearing. Then Peter says, Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him, Jesus of Nazareth, both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. What Peter proclaimed to them that morning was a lot for those devout Jews of every nation to swallow. But they couldn't dismiss the miraculous fact that all these Galileans were speaking their many different languages. The last thing they heard Peter say was, you crucified him. You crucified the Lord and the Messiah. Here is how Luke then described their response, the crowd from all of these nations. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Note that first they called them Galileans. Now they're calling them brothers. Brothers. What shall we do? Peter said to them, 
repent. That doesn't mean feel bad. That doesn't mean saying, oh, I feel, I'm sorry. Repent means to do an about face. It is the Greek, it's an English translation and of the Greek and the metanoia and the Hebrew shuv, meaning to turn around. You're going in this direction, make a complete opposite direction. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive you will receive the gift of the holy spirit for the promise is for you for your children and for all who are far away everyone whom the lord our god calls to him save yourselves from this corrupt generation peter said to them finally And then Luke writes this in verse 41. So those who welcomed this message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 persons were added to the 120. Uh, Pretty good church growth in one day. So uh, we better get to work. Amazing. 3,000 people were added to the 120. It does not go on to say that they also spoke in other languages. They were baptized. And Peter said, and you will be given the gift of the Holy Spirit, which they were. People from all nations received that. So, I had titled this sermon, What Happens When That Happens? And nobody threw me up against the wall on the way in and said, why do you make dumb sermon titles? Uh, What happens when that happens? What I meant to do is connect the sermon from last Sunday to the sermon this Sunday. And I was trying to connect you to what we read last Sunday in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And it too was about the Spirit of God. And Paul had written to them and and said, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, God's, He may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit. I pray that for you. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Yeah. As you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth And to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. And then finally, he says this, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. When that happens, Pentecost happens. When they were filled with that power of the Spirit, Pentecost happens. 
And what happened at Pentecost was first communication to the world. The first, the first result of being filled with the Spirit is not a turn inward, but a turn outward. One of the marks of darkness and sin is self-centeredness. It's endemic in all human beings apart from God. And we struggle with it even when we're connected to God. The first effect of being filled with the Spirit and the fullness of God is a powerful turning outward to others. To the uttermost parts of the world, Jesus said they would go. Except on this day, the uttermost parts of the world had gathered in Jerusalem. Those there that day would go beyond Jerusalem, for Jesus said, you will become my witnesses in Jerusalem that day, in Judea, the province around Jerusalem, in Samaria, that forbidden territory of strangers and uh, despised people between Judea and Galilee, and you will be my witnesses to the uttermost parts of the world. Matthew said, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. It began that morning that they were filled with the fullness of God. This is what happens when that happens. People from all nations receive Christ and believe in Christ. All kinds of people from all kinds of places from all kinds of cultures, follow Christ, listen to Christ, and are transformed by Christ. But there is a second thing that happens when we are filled by the fullness of God. We care for each other better than ever before. We care for each other the way God cares for us. And Luke goes on to write in verse 44 these words. All who believed. How many were there who believed? 3,120. Yeah. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. They cared for each other physically a mark of the church. They cared for each other emotionally, our inner being, our outer needs. People who are filled with the Spirit care for each other as brothers and sisters. And it is a sign to the world that this is something different. Paul, uh, Luke continues to write, day by day they spent much time together in the temple. Day by day. Not just the not just the Lord's Day. Starting off, they were there every day in Jerusalem. They spent much time together in the temple, praying, learning from the apostles. They broke bread at home, ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So, two things happened being filled by the Spirit. There's an immediate 
turn outward from ourselves as far as to the ends of the earth. And the second thing, there is, there is a serious turning to those we are together with immediately, physically. And we care for each other in every way possible. So to sum up, here's a last slide to give you. The church has three purposes. Oh, yeah, that's what we are, church. The church has three purposes. To love God, to love each other, to love those around the world who do not know God in Christ. That should sound a little bit like when Jesus, and the lawyer, was asking Jesus about the great command. What's the great command? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second is like to that. To love yourself and love your neighbor. Oh no, it went the other way around. To love your neighbor came first. And then it said, as you love yourself. At the same time you're loving yourself. In the same way that you love yourself. As well as you love yourself. Interesting. Both at Pentecost and in Jesus' great commandment and the second like it. The neighbor and the world come first before ourselves. Uh, These three things are like a three-legged stool. They are absolutely indispensable to each other. Remove one of them and you've got a balancing act. Remove two of them, just have one stool that you've been concentrating on and you're really good if you can sit on it. All three legs, loving God, loving others as much as we love ourselves, loving ourselves well, are absolutely essential. Uh, Now that we're coming out of a year-long pandemic, the restrictions of that pandemic, let's have some conversations about how, about all of this. How are we as a church doing with all three parts of this? Uh, How are we doing as a church? Let's have conversations in session meetings or deacon meetings or Bible study groups. Can we take a few minutes before or after to give a little response to this? Can we together say, here's what we need to do to go forward and fulfill this, to be really filled with God's Spirit? How about having conversations in our families? How are we doing enjoying the fullness of God within us, in our family. How are we doing with that? How are we doing as individuals? Where do we need to grow? How can we do that? We're getting back together. We love it. Let's just don't tell war stories about how lonely we were. (laughs) Um, let's, Let's look forward together. Uh, This church has been called together by God and God has wonderful plans for it as he did the first 120 that were there. May God bless us as we do this. Amen.